Welcome to the Nejar Chuan Podcast. My name is Isaac Kamins. This is a bi-weekly podcast where my friend Jess O'Brien and I discuss internal martial arts, qigong, and meditation. Uh, this is our 100th uh, regular episode, so Jess is here with me to do the intro. Hey, Jess, how's it going? Here I am. All right. Good to, good to be making it to this uh, momentous occasion. We uh, 100 episodes in is pretty... Uh, Hard to envision when we first started. I remember episode one was the we did on the cover of Power of Internal. I mean, of uh, opening the energy gates. Well, it's almost exactly three years. I think within a wow. week, we're in a, within a week or so yeah. of, of when we first published the first episode. So uh, I thought for this we'd just give a little, you know, what it was like for us, you know, what the experience has been like over the last couple of years, and uh, what we've learned yeah. going through Biwa's book and all that. Definitely. I mean, I guess the first thing I'd say is that uh, it's been a learning experience. I I felt like we got a pretty good handle on Kumar's system of Qigong and martial arts. And then we sort of took that lens and applied it to during this third season to uh, Baihua's book and just going really as deep as we can with the knowledge we have through what Baihua was trying to to open up. And, you know, along the way, it seems like he sent us in a bunch of different directions trying to figure out what he was talking about and sort of leads to follow and little just tidbits and uh, concepts. That's like, we have our understanding of it that you and I sort of come upon, but then we've gone into other sources to kind of get third or fourth, you know, statements to try and help triangulate um, what the teachings are. And, and like all this stuff, nothing set in stone, like each different school, they all use the same terminology, but they sometimes talk about different things. So for us, we're able to, it helped me get a little deeper sense of what we've been training all these years and how other people see it and how, and sort of directions to take my training going forward in the future and our training together. Yeah, I liked the um, juxtaposition of doing the energy gates first, because that was kind of the soft stuff and, you know, the, if you will, the water approach to doing Leo Hong Jae's Gong, and then moving through it and getting, you know, the primary sources and all that and all the teachers and everything, and then moving into Baiwa's book, getting into the other side of Leo Hong Jae's teachings and, and Baiwa's take on how it all goes together. And I think it, it, it provides a little bit more complete picture of like, you know, the, the, the whole system rather than just, you know, Bruce's, uh, version of what it is and the second season was fun to take a deep dive into like looking at the teachers that 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 really were part of that big movement in the 1910s 20s 30s that really created the internal martial arts that we know today from Sun Ludong's writings of sort of joining the three martial arts together and including these ideas of Taoism and then the various ways schools were uh associating Jing Wu and um you know, the nationalist government was promoting it. It's like, it just, it, the world we do of internal martial arts today came to life during that time from the fed by the sources of the past. So you can say they are ancient arts, but they really took the form that we know today during that formative period, that critical. Right, um, that late 1920s or whatever. Yeah, just that early part of the 20th century, basically, where... The terms and the the forms that we do now kind of coagulated and came together then, basically, is what I'm thinking. Yeah, and I mean, for me personally, one of the things that's been interesting is finding 
these like repetitive threads in all the different books that come up like in different ways but it's it's the same mechanics so like for example mm. the rise drill overturn and fall that Sun Ludong talks about is the same mechanical thing as the microcosmic orbit right so it's like you're mm. you're getting into this um idea of like how to use these ancient quote-unquote ancient Taoist principles in in these modern texts and like by right. whole thing of you know trying to take it into the quote-unquote modern age with with his you know comparisons which were don't always work. I, don't I mean, like you say about comparisons, there's layers, right? So like you can tie and Sun Ludong was speaking on multiple layers at once of both the physical and then that internal energy circulation. And they're, you know, the, the, those layers are inherent in internal martial arts, which is part of what makes them cool. Like you can practice it on any of those layers. You don't have to include the other layers if you don't want, and your teacher may or may not, but it's just, we looked at the different books from different people and, you can see they're using the same structures. And then we get to Baihua where he's using that same, like say Jing Qi Shen, that triple layer of um, of, a, of the process you go through to develop your energy in Ne Gong. Internal martial arts is using some of those same metaphors. So by looking at the different books and the different masters, we looked at, you know, Master Shang from Xing Yi, we looked at Master Chang from Baghua, and we just went through all the different lineage whole members who contributed to Leo Hung Jie's education so that then we got to the material that we knew and we could compare what these older books were trying to pass down and the the bits and pieces that made it into our education we found the sources for those which is really interesting and like like you're saying each of those sources has layers to it and depth to it and um just directions you can take it while still remaining true to the structure of the systems themselves and if you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah no i mean and like one of the things with talking to like alan and mike mcconnell and lee and all you know all those guys in the interviews was that one of the things for me is hearing you know um different people's versions of it right like or 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 how they've experienced it because it's um, it's one thing to just talk about these things in, you know, vague terms. It's another thing to have done it for, you know, 20, 30 years and be able to talk about how it's actually, you know, changed your practice and your, your awareness and all that, you know, and I, yeah. I, can, I can speak to my own experience, but like, you know, hearing it from someone else and getting a roughly the same you know kind of gist of okay well at least we're all on kind of on the same page you know points to that even when you know the teaching is a little different and you all kind of take different branches of these things when you really get down to what what, what, what it's really about most people kind of seem to agree it's about trying to find this um connected thing inside of yourself that's you know your true essence if you will and and you know all this stuff and and sort of the um the letting go in the process of how to how you know how part of how you find that essence find that the, the jing and the chi and the shen 
is by letting go of all these assumptions and um you know and just kind of doing the practice without a uh an agenda i think has has been one of the things for yeah. me definitely agree seeing it from multiple perspectives always helps me clarify the direction i'm on and it doesn't mean everyone has to agree with you it's just that they may be different but they're also following a similar process so like we may have different you know the flavors of what we do but they're also following a path that has structure on it and those steps may be placed in different spots but we're all sort of on the same general journey through uh from you know master sun ludong's time till now all the things he brought up in his book we bring up today i mean he goes as far as what should you do if someone has a gun you know and he's pretty right. much you know like everything from that to how do you you know what are these mystical concepts as well and so then you fast forward to now those are the same discussions going on now is it going to work in the octagon or can you use this to meditate and become enlightened those same questions remain uh, as hotly debated as ever which is hilarious and probably inevitable knowing humankind and that just goes to show this shit's killer man people love it what can you do there's always the argument about oh, which martial art is best and you know the the opinion on that seems to change every you know 10 or 15 years and um it just you know it's like whatever it's like fads you know people just kind of go through different fads and um i think something that i think it was mike mcconnell said about you know that that uh you know whatever you're gonna do there's gonna be people who will say it's not the right way or the wrong right thing to do and all of that and the hardest part about committing to one of these practices is just kind of not ignoring but taking in the criticisms of the art but without it affecting your faith in what you're doing right that you have to yeah you have to believe that what you're doing is worth your time yeah and that you know that you're going to put your full effort into it because if you have that doubt of like what am i doing you know then it's not really going to work right well and i think right you know the over and over we keep hearing this thing about you know it's it's your intent your e that has to be the thing that that you know powers this whole practice and i think that's the you know the cool part is kind of uncovering different aspects of that and how people have different experiences of that and i think yeah you know, i mean this forward. stuff can be frustrating because like i feel like i heard a lot of these concepts from day one i got introduced to softness and using the mind and so on and yet here i am 30 40 years later still trying to investigate that further taking it further or and same with the physical training at first it was so clumsy and now i'm still finding myself off balance at times or whatever like and yet at the same time i can see when I teach, when a beginner comes to me and wants to try some stuff, I'm like, man, it, I don't, sometimes I'm just like, wow, I have changed a lot since I first started. Cause I was just like this guy at one time and now I can kind of do this more smoothly. So like it fulfills the promise, but at the same time, each promise that's fulfilled adds another distant mountaintop that now you have to go conquer that one. So it gets, you could either see it as frustrating or endlessly enriching. Well, because it's, yeah, I mean, it's on forever. <laughs> it's plateaus right you you reach the top of one and you think wow i've reached the top of the mountain and then right. you look over and there's like another peak <laughs> totally like, oh, and Baihua's book has definitely helped me see what i've been training from from a different perspective without the same 
sort of like uh, Kumar has this whole language around how he teaches what he teaches. And so you can see his classmate has a, a way of teaching very similar stuff, but he uses different metaphors, drawing from different books. I mean, they're both constantly quoting Lao Tzu and stuff, but you can see uh, Master Leo himself is a different thing, right? They're each interpreting his teachings, yeah, I, I but his gonna... teachings are a bigger a basket, right? It's a bigger fruit that we're drawing from all these teachings out. I of. was going to say, like, it's like they're paraphrasing. They're both paraphrasing the same stuff, right? And you know, they do they're, it in their yeah. own way, and so Bruce mm -hmm. does it in a more, uh, I think, um, casual but more detailed way, and Baiwa does it in a more esoteric and formal. more formal. Right. Yeah. And so you get that kind of the the again, the difference being most likely that there was a bit of a language barrier with Bruce that there wasn't with Baiwa. So mm. Leo had to simplify things for quote unquote the Western mind. Yeah. <clears throat> That's where for us, I think it it, it for learning it, uh, you know, it was really. I don't think I could have learned it with the more traditional, right? No way, language, right? I, knew, I don't know the five classics, you know, exactly, or whatever, right. like all that stuff was, that Baiwa yeah. was doing as a youth, yeah. And so, that, I think yeah. that's where you know, now after all these years of practicing the, the water side of it, being able to kind of connect the dots with the, the fire stuff from Baiwa, mm -hmm. it's been really uh interesting, yeah. So, and I think on the patreon i've i've been able to really enjoy going deep into the Nagong and and the more difficult parts of his book which which can be incredibly abstruse and challenging has really pushed my brain to the limit in between say the large space and the small space that he keeps talking about and the the relationships that he's of heaven and earth and man and earth and like all these like you were saying the mm -hmm. layers and the connections that he keeps drawing over and over but i do feel like he repeats himself enough to where it's like some of the stuff he was teaching sort of beats itself into your head by by constantly over explaining things over and over yeah. it finally starts to sink in no, yeah i mean i guess and in, in a way we've tried to do a similar thing with our podcast is like the way i see our podcast is that we've had a lot of fun with it was our number one thing we want to just tell good stories and and tell and talk about things that interest us that we think other people like us will be interested in but we've had it's been nice to have like this podcast and patreon um yin and yang because our podcast we can talk about what goes on in the in the various books we've been tapping into and the stories of the masters but in the patreon we've been able to go deep into the bk francis system from our perspective and really go into detail through all like the eight energy bodies to go through how to do the things in heaven and earth and gods in the clouds and so on from and practice tips and like um and how we see the system and how it works like to get very specific about his school so the people in his school can do the patreon train you know listen to the patreon stuff with us that'll really help them understand i think how the system is taught and how to best go about it and what the various pieces and sort of see that big picture that we've been developing over a long time. Whereas our main podcast is any, you know, anybody from any school could hopefully get a kick out of it and hear some good adventure stories and some interesting odd concepts that we're running across in the books. And I think we all, that's, that's what enables us as internal martial arts as a big family to connect. 
But as far as our specific family that you and I are part of that we've been training in all these years through the Patreon, we are talking about stuff that we wouldn't really say in public, right? We wouldn't just like get on the TV and start blabbing about this yeah. stuff. Like we created that specifically for the people who are in the school like us who want to know the inner workings and the inner details and the inner history and how these pieces all kind of came together. Most people in other schools wouldn't care so much, right? They, you know, they, don't, they don't care about our teacher. Yeah. But if you're into the energy art stuff, then the Patreon is where you're going to get a lot more of our experience. And we've been able to connect with a bunch of mentors and older teachers than us in the school over the years who we brought on and sort of helped give their perspective too. So I don't know. I, I felt like there was no guide for me until I met you about how to go about training in this school. And then, so if we're offering this gives people who aren't around a chance to like, I don't know, just get that depth that came, that was passed on to us of people that said, well, by the way, did you know the set comes from here? Or when we first learned it, it was like this, or when yeah. and he added this, you know, so those bits and pieces that help you understand how, how this whole thing came together and kind of where it's going. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, uh, well, I know Bruce tends to, um, you know, he, get, he gives the highlights when he tells the story, right? So, uh, for example, you know, he mentioned if he's listing the lineage, he'll just mention the top guys on the lineage, right? right. He's not going to go through every single person and tell you the whole story of all, all, all the whole thing. And so I think there's a tendency to, because it wasn't that important to him when he was learning. Yeah for people to kind of dismiss that as being not that important. And I've always felt that, um, you know, if you're going to be part of a school, knowing the lineage and the history of your school is not going to help you. It's not going to make you better at doing it, but it's, it's inspiring and it gives you a sense of being part of something that's older than, you know, you are right. And, um yeah there's a you know connection to the past if you will and all this stuff but you know the bigger thing being that um you know we're we're providing a little bit of the context for a lot of the stuff like so you know bruce will say oh leo hungjae studied with magui which is true but he also studied with a bunch of other people that bruce doesn't mention uh for whatever reason and so i think right. it's important when you when you talk about well i or even just take something like energy gates i mean um a lot of people get the impression that energy gates comes from leo hung jay because mm -hmm. of the way bruce talks about it and you know the the nuance there is that what he's saying is that the the some of the internal aspects of it and the approach that he's taking comes from Leo Hung Jae, but he had that set and was teaching that set long before he met Leo Hung Jae, and so right. you know things like that. It, it's not again, it it doesn't make that much of a difference in terms of your practice. I don't think you know knowing your teacher's name makes a difference, but um, it. You know, if you're if you're going to try to preserve these arts, which is really the goal of our you know whole podcast and really my whole life, uh, is that you know part of preserving the art is preserving the names of the people that were involved in it and the uh, the the best you can the narrative of how it came to be, rather than just kind yeah. of 
saying, well, it came from somewhere and, you know, or, or just attributing it all to the last guy and, and ignoring that there were, you know, many, many people who came before that. Right. So, so we're going to tell that deeper story and we're going to keep telling it. And I think we may broaden our horizons a little bit. Yes. I think the, the, the plan for going forward is to, expand the lens a little bit and to you know broaden our uh scope to look at more you know more people for outside of our own lineage and deeper into our own lineage and try to give a sense of you know the 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 Neji Chuan as a whole and not just our own little um you know per- per- version of it uh so start looking at um other sources and um you know just taking little articles and pieces from books and you know jess has a whole library of crazy books so we're going to start pulling from right. some of those and um yeah you know yeah i mean the, the, if you want to put it real simply the idea is save people the hassle of trying to track down all the books and that have right. you know one line about a guy or something like that and to put it in you know right a place where if you want to know what the connections are between these things and what we do it's pretty straightforward and hopefully it's pretty straightforward right and, and there isn't as much uh digging that people have to do yeah so. i mean that way we can just we've done the work of digging up these historical bits and pieces and these different books and articles and so on and um so that way we'll just throw them out there and get them I mean, out into an audio form. You know, one of the funnier things for me with doing this podcast has been, you know, when I first started, we first started doing this and doing the research and I'm, I'm looking up these names of all these guys that are on our list of, you know, people that we're going to talk about. And a lot of them, nothing, you know, nothing would come up and I search for it in English, nothing search for it in Chinese. You might get one or two pages and, you know, it's usually a tran- couple of translations from the same book. So you're just looking at the same thing over and over. Um, but now when I search the, a lot of those names, the first thing that pops up is our podcast. So at least there's you know, something out there where if you if you uh, Google, you know, Liang Zywin or one of these guys, right. something comes up. You know, it's not just right. a, a complete void. So I feel like we're at least providing some service on that level. Yep, and little yeah. traces of uh, breadcrumbs that lead yeah. back to the history for, of this stuff, and for, for future martial arts weirdos yeah. to follow. <laughs> and I hope we keep stumbling across interesting things because yeah. uh, there's a lot more to discover out there. So we'll keep digging and see what we come up with. All right, talk to you soon, All right, bro. Cheers. Bye. In today's episode of the Ninja Chuan Podcast, we're going to continue our look at the martial art of Tai Chi. This season, we've been exploring the different masters of Taiji Chuan, and we've been sort of centering it on the different teachers of Bai Hua. You know, he learned the Wu style from Liu Hongzhi, and he also learned Yang style from a couple different directions, including one lesser known teacher of the old Yang style known as Lin Du Ying. And uh, Isaac, what does Bai Hua say about Lin Du Ying in the book here? Not much. Um... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Baiwa doesn't say much about him, but he says during middle school, he moved to Jamen and began began training with uh, martial arts master Lin Duying, uh, originally from Fuzhou. Uh, and then he lists a whole bunch of martial arts that he did with um, 
Lin Du Ying, including uh, Six Harmony Fist, uh, Shaolin, Tiger, Crane, Leopard, Ape, and Snake, uh, Five Shaped Fist, Monkey Fist, Drunken Fist, Long Fist, uh, Wu Song Breaks Manacles, and then finally we get to Yang Style Tai Chi. So, <laughs> It sounds like, I mean, you know, he spent uh, from about 12 to, let's see, 12, he would have been, that would have been the mid-60s. So about 10 years with Lin Yu Yang. Um, that's after he learned from Leo Hong Jay as a child. Yes. So after he learns from Leo Hong Jay, he goes. Up in Beijing. Yeah, and it, it sounds like he was going back and forth. Yeah, because later in life, bit. he ends up back in Beijing. Yeah, I mean, there's a picture with him and Leong Jay in 77 or something like that. So he he still was going back and forth, but he was at least initially living in um, Jamin. So what he, uh, yeah, that's all he really says about um, Lin Du Ying. Lin Du Ying, yeah. But he's clearly uh, a high-level Taiji practitioner, but he also knows all these other martial arts. That... And he, he does have a picture of Lin in the beginning of the book, and it's the only mm -hmm. picture I've ever seen of the guy. He's not doing anything. Right. Yeah, he's a younger man in that picture. And so the only other thing we really have on Lin Du Ying is from the uh, book by B.K. Francis, Power of Internal Martial Arts and Chi. He has uh, an editor's note here in the back where he, he talks about his description of his experience with Lin Du Ying. Because Baiwa sent him a letter of recommendation or some kind of pass to go visit and train with Master uh, Lin. So here's what uh, is in the book here. The author studied the old Yang style with Lin Du Ying at the end of Ying's life in Xiamen, Fujian province, mainland China, in 1983. Lin had originally learned this art in Beijing and Shanghai. His teachers were Tian Lin and Wu Huichuan, two of the top Tai Chi fighters in North China and students of Yang Ban Ho. Okay, now I have to jump in here and, and correct that because they were not students of Ban Ho. Um, Tanja Lin was one years old when Ban Ho died. Um, so he actually was a student of Jian Ho, uh, Ban Ho's younger brother. And Wu Hai Chuan was a student of Yang Cheng Fu's. So Bruce so, had a little bit off on that one. Right. But we don't really have any other information about this guy, Lin Du Ying in southern China, who's a prominent Yang style practitioner. Um, and... Uh, so all we can rely on are stories about his teachers, basically, that are more well-documented. Um, I do have one note out of one of my old notebooks that I found that says, from one of Kumar's seminars, where he said, uh, well, here he says it again, Lin Du Ying learned from Yan Ban Ho. Well, that's clearly impossible. Right. <laughs> so what he says in this notebook here is that, uh, I recorded this at some seminar he must have given, he says, Lin Du Ying was high up in the gang scene of the Shanghai underworld, so he could pay Yang a lot, as well as providing useful connections. So clearly, Lin Du Ying had underworld connections and political connections and financial connections that made him able to train with this higher echelon of guys, right? The uh, Yang Shaoho and the Yang Cheng Fu and the Tian Zhao Lin. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what um the difference between being a gangster and a official is just whose side you're on I think. right and at that time sides were switching rapidly yeah 
So anyways, that's what little we know about this guy, Lin Du Ying. So let's start off looking at uh, this guy, Tian Zhao Lin, teacher of Lin Du Ying. So his his birth and death dates in this article by Leroy Clark, uh, Tian Zhao Lin, A Legacy of Young Tai Chi. He says he's born in 1891, so 10 years before the Boxer Rebellion, and then he dies in 1960. So it says here that uh, Tian Zhao father passed away when he was an infant. As a young boy of eight years, he had to sell fruit to support his mother and two sisters. Um, at that time, Yang Jianho, the second son of Yang-style founder Yang Luchan, noticed him on his walks to the palace where he taught. He recruited him as a student and also provided maintenance for Yang Tian Lin's impoverished family. Thus, from the age of 13 years on, Tian Lin learned Taiji from Yang Jianho and subsequently from Jianho's sons Yang Shaoho and Yang Chengfu. These teachers were exceptional and profound Taiji grandmasters. So there you have it. He was a fruit seller on the way in front of the palace, sort of like uh, when Dong Hai Chuan punched out Yin Fu in front right. of the palace, who was a pretzel seller, you know. Or... So it's kind of like being around the palace. You you run into people like this on their way to work, basically. All right. So more about Tian Zhao Lin. Um, once in the Yang family household, Tian Zhao Lin was required to participate. Participate literally around the clock in the practice of their internal arts, alongside Yang Jianho's sons, Xiao Ho and Cheng Fu. These practices were overseen by Father Jianho. Tian Zhaolin lived with the Yang family, practiced day and night with them, ate with them, and slept with them. The first six months, Tian Zhaolin was made to practice stake standing exercises exclusively. So standing training. After that, Jianho began to teach him the soft, sticky energy that he had inherited from his father, Yang Luchan. During the standing stake practice, one should one of them move even the slightest, old Jianho would quickly come over to strike that person sharply with his long-handled smoking pipe. <laughs> Similarly, during the practice of Jin, should one of them hesitate or stop, teacher Jianho would quickly approach and strike that person sharply with his pipe. Tian Zhaolin also became a constant companion of Yang Shaoho. Tian also served as the practice partner for Shaoho. He learned to withstand his various jins and blows. Because <laughs> Yang Shaoho is, like his uncle, famous for being harsh and cruel teacher. And poor uh, Yang Ho is, like, adopted by their family as his servant, basically getting his ass kicked. Using, the, using him as, like, the punching bag, basically. Yeah. And then the father's always lurking around, just slapping you if you slow down or stop ever. Literally around-the-clock practice. I love it. So, yeah, that's legit, man. That's the old school. For sure. All right, this is good. During the early years, in addition to living, learning, and practicing at the Yang family home, Tian Lin also fathered teacher Jianho to the palace and other various teaching sites carrying the master's sword. Since Tian Lin had a very solid foundation and very high awareness level, he made great progress. After some seven years of learning and practicing, in 1911, teacher Jianho ordered Zhao Lin to enter a public fight contest representing his family. So, so he goes to fight in the public contest. Tian Lin was surprised and quickly tried to beg off, explaining to his teacher that he did not feel adequately prepared and did not wish to bring dishonor on the Yang family. John Ho responded by telling him that he would not have ordered him to enter such a contest if he did not believe he was well prepared. Tian Lin then followed his teacher's advice, entered the contest, and he won. Once home after the contest... Yang Jianho ordered Tian Zhao Lin to follow his eldest son Shaoho from that point forward. Shaoho and Zhao Lin were often seen together around the capital in Beijing and at martial arts exhibitions. 
Tian Zhao Lin's reputation began to grow after his success in that raw fight competition. Dang, so he's earning his stripes at a young age. And the Grandmaster at that point says, okay, now you're my son's student from here forward. Like, he sort of like gives him his black belt kind of like, now you're, now it's time for you to like go from here. So yeah, it's cool. Like he orders him to become his son's disciple and like almost to help his son too, though. And like, look, I'm going to give you this bro to roll with you. Who's a badass. who's going to fight with you and sort of protect your, uh, you know, let be your top student so he can take the challengers basically going forward. So after young Jian Ho passes away in 1917, Chen Zhao Lin continued to learn from the son, young Xiao Ho. Um, so here it says that Xiao Ho was known to possess a skill and method called 1,000 Hands Guan Yin. Chen also learned the same method. In 1921, Chen Zhao Lin followed his teacher to Hangzhou. There he hired a man-pulled chariot. The chariot man, upon hearing the northern accent, tried to double charge his fee. Chen Zhao Lin refused to pay the unfair, outrageous price. Soon, some 10 additional chariot men appeared and started to attack Tian Zhao Lin. He launched them all out and onto the ground. And that's when you get in a fight with the taxi drivers and all the other taxi pedicab right, dudes right, just right. pull up and start wailing on nope. you. But he knocked them all over. And then another time, Tian Zhao Lin was drinking tea in a tea house by the lake. Two army officers came in and told him to give up his seat. Tian refused. They struck at him, but both were launched away. The army officers then ordered 10 nearby soldiers to fight him. Again, Tian launched them all away effortlessly, one by one. So this next piece says, Earlier generation Taiji people had an expression, hit the cow on the other side of the mountain. This phrase refers to hitting an opponent's front side with the pain and effect being felt on the back side. In years past, people who sparred with Yang Shaoho often described him as having energy like electricity. That is, it caused very painful sensations in the muscles and even on the skin surface. Tian Zhao Lin came from that background and also knew that method. In the 1940s, a guy known as Big Spear Liu came to Shanghai's Big World, the city's major performance and entertainment center. Big Spear Liu asked the doorkeeper, are there any good hands around here? In other words, he was seeking someone considered highly skilled in martial art in order to make a challenge. The doorkeeper told him of Tian Zhao Lin. With that, Big Spear Liu set off to find him. He found Tian Zhao Lin and immediately demanded to spar by each striking each other three times. Tian responded that it may not be necessary. He said, just let me touch you. If you can tolerate my touch, you win. Big Spear Liu, sensing a fool in an effortless victory, immediately agreed. The two men approached, and Tian Zhao Lin reached out his hand to touch Liu's chest. Within a few moments, Big Spear Liu's facial muscles started to contort. Soon he grimaced. His face showed signs of intense pain. Big Spear Liu pulled away, and after recovering, con commented, I have traveled throughout five provinces and various cities, but until today, I have never seen such a profound skill. So that's a, the electricity on touch. I can't say I've ever experienced that exactly, but I've felt some weird sort of energy from people, but not enough to... Uh, you know, combatively shock me. I'm sorry to say. Well, I mean, it's uh, you know, this is those those legends of like, oh, you touch the guy and it feels, you know, like fill in the blank. You know, that's always because how else are you going to really describe it? You know, it's like well, hit the cow on the other side of the mountain. So you touch him in the front, and then it's sort of well, that's that the effect shoots through. Yeah, that's that penetrating effect where you you get hit in the front, and then there's the I mean, I associate that with Xing Yi, where I punch the front of your body and then you go flying backwards as as I take my half step and step through you and sort of splings you away. Yeah, but this but is it, even more like 
It's the in Tai Chi it looks too. Like. I mean, it's in Tai Chi too. It's that step up, parry, and punch. You could be yeah, it would be the same. But it's like through them. Yeah, you could do the same thing with any technique. It's it, any you know forward motion can do that. But this is more subtle. This is some kind of this like just light touch could zap somebody. Well, again, it's it's refinement, right? Like so, he's saying this guy was of the level that you know he just had to touch your skin to fuck you up. You know, and didn't have to go, you know, in, in that. That's deep. high level. I mean, <clears throat> what Bruce said was all of his main teachers could, they could hurt you with a tap, you know. That, that, Pretty much. That's, um, yeah, that sounds about right. He said, but, you know, that Leo could also heal you with that same tap. That, hmm. that was the the unique thing that he had was to use that same the highest level, yeah. That same kind of fudging or whatever to 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 make you feel good. And I've had that experience where your back is feeling kind of funky when you get to class and you get slammed up against the wall, and all of a sudden you're like, I, I feel a little bit better, you know. I don't know how much of that is just you know things getting knocked around, but there is a piece of it when you. When you get that thing, you know, that, like you said, that, that bone turn to the belly or something and your whole body just kind of crumples around that fist. Yeah. Like, either you're going to relax and go with it and let your body kind of, you know, reset or you're going to get, get ugh, ugh, like really hurt. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of that penetrating power of Tai Chi, right, where you, you hit the front and the damages in the middle or in the back right yeah that's the high you know it's kind of the highest level type of thing or whatever it's very subtle power so returning to the taiji classics uh written commentary by bai hua the uh, grand student of chan Lin, whose bio we just looked into um so the next phrase from the uh 13 um we're calling it the uh song of the 13 postures Analyze the mind carefully. Every movement of the 13 postures is controlled by the mind. It does not take excessive effort to acquire this kind of ability. Um, so that's from the classics. So Bai Hua goes on to sort of break that down. He says, Kui means to consider. Every movement of the 13 postures is controlled by the mind, means that all movements are required to have continuous internal connection, to open and close, to achieve motion and stillness, yin and yang, voidness and solidness, etc., all are unified by mind. E, that is essence, chi, and spirit. So essence, chi, and spirit are unified by the mind. So jing, chi, shun is... Controlled by your intent. Yeah, your intent is kind of the driver there, the, the unifier of those things as you develop them. Your intention is required. So to all, of these, kind of... all of these things are required for you to have this you know to be doing tai chi essentially um and all of that is controlled by your mind so the mind so i'm, I'm getting the impression he's kind of saying like you go through the process of jing chi shen using your mind and that is how you forge a continuous internal connection now you can open and close achieve motion and stillness you can have all the different range of void to solidness, but you kind of need to have unified the well, all of those things as the process. All of those things are requirements after. So you've, you've, it says every movement of <clears throat> the 13 postures of Tai Chi is controlled by the mind, right? 
and is required to have the following things, continuous internal connection, opening and closing, uh, motion, motion and stillness, stillness, yin and yang, void and solid, and then et cetera, et cetera, right? All the other things that he's talked about. And then all of that is unified by your mind. It's not that it's really controlled by it, but your mind is what uh, keeps them all in time. You know, harmonizes maybe is a good word, right? It, it like, because you're trying to match all these different things, right? Your mind, your breath, your your body, your chi, and that something has to kind of keep the the rhythm of all that, and that's you. That's your mind. That's your intent, right? Um, and that's sort of that's the you know the essence of the whole thing. You know, the Jing Chi Shen is that you're you've integrated at all these openings and closings and all this other stuff and that's kind of your um you know that's your negong you you you've you've got all the stuff moving everything's uh linked together it's all um you know one part moves all parts move one part stops all parts stops uh from posture to posture the internal energy is unbroken all that and now it's like you got the formula, right? And and now you can kind of go and work on the deeper meanings of the whole thing. So his next thing he says, therefore the formula of Taiji Chuan is the unified control of the waste, which conforms to the principle that less is more. That is, the truth is easier to grasp and apply by turning the complex into the simple. Right. So this is where, to borrow Bruce's phrase, everything in Tai Chi comes from the waste. Right? Mm. The idea that the everything in the everything comes from Taiji is all of those conditions. Those things he that, just listed, yeah. He just listed all have to be controlled or whatever, how whatever word you want to use by your Danyan. That when you move your arm, it's not just your arm moving. It's something in your Danyan, you know, going through your body and opening all your joints and all this. So, the, and that's kind of what he says by turn the complex into the simple. So there's all this whole list of stuff, but by moving from the Dantian and, and letting the waste dominate the action that helps just make everything happen. Basically you link everything to the Dantian, right? Which is the whole it. thing he's been talking about with, you know, make everything the one, right? The Dantian, the is, whole, right? uh, Gui Yuan Ne Gong process. Right. Is to connect everything into one, the Dantian, right? The idea being that um, if everything's connected to your dandian, right? If this you have this like hub where all the um, nerve, you know, the thing like power lines, right? All the power lines connect to this one hub. If you can just control that hub, it will then move everything else, right? So the shorthand is you don't have to be thinking about your hand, your foot, your head, all these different parts, if you can let everything just relax and sink into your Danyan, all those things kind of happen together, right? And this is the the paradoxical nature of Tai Chi. Mm -hmm. You've got a million things you got to do, but really you've only got one thing you got to do, which yeah. is feel your Danyan, right? So make the complex simple in that regard. Right, and then, I mean, it's... And it's <clears throat> It's still hard to do. Right. Well, that's the next thing he says. Yeah. The phrase, it does not take excessive effort, does not mean that it's easy to achieve. 
It's just that there is relatively no time wasted rejecting that which is near at hand and seeking that which is far away. We must clearly realize that in order to change the old habits of the body, for the body to adapt to the changes, it takes time and practice. This time is indispensable. So yeah, it's interesting because it says this this kind of it does not take excessive effort, but like what it takes is steady, slow, intentional effort. Um, yeah, he's yeah, like you can't force it, right? Right. Like, Changing like, habits you can't force to happen. It has to be done slowly over time. Yeah, pushing yourself to do it a lot in a short period of time isn't going to do anything for you. So uh, Baihua ends with his explanation of this, this piece by saying, we must clearly realize that in order to change the old habits of the body, for the body to adapt to changes, it takes time and practice. This time is indispensable. I think that, <laughs> I think just his point about that it's not, it shouldn't be like a pain in the ass. It's kind mm. of he's saying, I think that like, you always talk about this, that, you know, it should be enjoyable to practice, right? right? That, that. This time is ind indispensable. This is this is your me time. Is kind of what he's yeah. Saying. That's how I take it. Yeah, man. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. this is the this is the best part of your day. Not you know right, right, right. <laughs> of course, poor Tianzhao Ling's in there training day and night with these guys getting beat up by his old you know the older brother and the dad. So yeah, well, that's where I think the uh, <laughs> Yang Ching Fu kind of had the right idea as far as let's let's lighten it up, lighten it up. Yeah. That's the old Yang styles being beaten with a opium pipe when you get anything wrong in standing. <laughs> so yeah, that's old Yang. New Yang, we you know take it a little easier. I actually think that the the that piece about that he was forced to stand first might be a clue as to what mm. the old Yang, New Yang difference. Was. Standing postures of old Yang, interesting. But that could be for another discussion. For sure. All right, um, good one. We'll talk to you soon. Hey folks, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, just quick reminder, check out the Patreon for the extended episode and bonus episodes. And check out the Instagram for images to go along with the episodes and our Facebook page. All right, uh, thanks for listening. Take care of yourselves and be well.